Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Here's your host, Jason A. Meiske. Hello, my friends. Welcome to episode 251 of the Sample Chapter Podcast. Hey, this is part two of our exclusive feature with Gary Morgenstein. Gary is back this week reading a sample chapter from book three of the Dark Depths series, A Dugout to Peace. And it's a a great story. It's the conclusion to the series. Uh, This is a dystopian speculative fiction baseball story uh, from the future after USA had lost World War III. But uh, if you're if you're a fan of all those genres, if you're a fan of baseball, you are in for a uh, for a reading that's providing you not only an intricate look at the uh, at all these genres, but also an intimate look at uh, a little bit of the history of baseball. And uh, it's really something. Um, it like I said, it is being read to you by Gary, which is really cool. It is available December fifth, but you can pre-order it right now by clicking the link in the show notes. I've also got links in there for Gary's past episodes, which covers the other two books of the series. They're, uh, they're great episodes as well, so you can click there to find out more about the uh, the whole series. Hey, uh, make sure that you are following the show on social media so you can hear about any upcoming events or uh special announcements that uh, that I could be doing. Uh, I'm going to be taking the next week or two off for the holidays, uh, for for Thanksgiving at least, and uh, I've got a a work schedule that just changed, so some things coming up, but uh, you know, you don't don't forget to hit that subscribe button as well so that you don't miss out when I do come back. Follow our uh, podcast friends at Pop Goes the Culture Network. They've got a lot of great shows over there. You can also check out the affiliate of the show, Writer's Block Coffee. They have three amazing flavors. And uh, I tell you what, for the holidays and this colder weather, there's nothing better than a cup of Writer's Block Coffee as you uh, as you work. And I know a lot of you are doing NaNoWriMo right now. I actually am not doing that this year because, you know, I'm, I'm in the middle of finishing up Bandit 2 for the release coming up December 1st. So that's kind of consolidating all of my spare time as far as writing goes but for all of you out there doing NaNoWriMo make sure uh, to reach out to me let me know uh, what you're doing what you're working on and how that's going and of course whenever your book is complete know that you have a home to help share that book Uh, but good luck to the rest of you as you uh, finish out the rest of the month with NaNoWriMo meanwhile I think uh, we'll go ahead and wrap this up a little bit early Um, like I said don't forget to be following the show on social media, uh, Instagram, X, Twitter, and Facebook. I'm on all of those, just the Sample Chapter Podcast. I do have a, a special in-person event coming up December 9th that I'll share more information as that gets closer. But but rest assured, the show will be back before then, at least. Uh, until then, let's go ahead and get on over to that sample chapter from our guest, Gary Morgenstein, with a dugout to peace. Hello, Sample Chapter listeners. Hey, welcome back. This is part two of our feature with Gary Morgenstein. And this week we are going to be listening to a sample from A Dugout to Peace. It's book three of the Dark Deaths 
book series, and it is the finale. It has been a long time coming. Gary has been working really hard for for quite some time on this series. And uh, yeah, you, you want to make sure you go back to last week's episode. I'll have a link in the show notes for it so you can hear all about uh, you know everything he's been working on and the journey that it's been to get to this finale, uh, explosive finale, I should say. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to hand the floor over to my guest, Gary Morgenstein with A Dugout to Peace. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jason. I'm going to, now this is um, A Dugout to Peace. This is the third book in my trilogy, which begins in 2098 after America and the West has lost World War III to the Islamic Empire. Uh, democracy is dead. America is surrounded. And it's um, a new government called The Family, run by the by Grandma. And it's uh, kind of an, a progressive nanny state where religion is outlawed, patriotism is outlawed, but social media is also outlawed under the anti-narcissism laws. So you might want to um, think that all won't be so bad. Okay, so now the main character is Puppy Nidic. He was um, the star player, and he's kind of been the the, the, the run through the storyline throughout the entire um, series. And he has been a refugee in the Islamic Empire, fleeing because he was accused of treason. And now he's back in America and he's become um, the commissioner of baseball. And we are going to start in chapter four. In the first scene where Puppy is the commissioner of baseball. Puppy's first office, indoors anyway, was furnished as if by catalog. Straight back leather chair and a spotless desk with a tin cup of crisscross pens and pencils overlooking a new glass and oak coffee table with bland round coasters beneath sparkling purple mugs. The walls had not been so much painted as scrubbed. There wasn't a speck of dust until a baseball rolled out in greeting from beneath the couch. Have fun, we didn't, Ty and Mickey. I apologize, sir, Matthew pranced into the room on a wind of anxiety, snatching away the ball with a scolding mutter. You have no idea how many pranks I discovered once the two gentlemen left. There was a bat which went thusly upon my shoulders when I opened the door. There was something called a whoopee cushion circa late 19th century beneath the couch. The bot gestured grandly to introduce Puppy to the beige couch. He doubted fingerprints were allowed. As well, I uncovered symbols of adolescent eroticism, which, which I will not mention until you and I are better acquainted. Matthew placed its hands on its hips and adjusted its slim black suit, the metal eyes fixed on Puppy, suddenly self-conscious about his blue cords and button-down white shirt, presents from Zelda and Pablo, who seemed a little too happy to send him back to his apartment. The poorly made red tie was from the grateful cast of Darling's Idea, accompanied by a handmade card with flowers in the shape of bats, which Puppy proudly propped against the tin cup. Off a quick intake, Matthew remade Puppy's tie. Much to say, sir, I can imagine, my first day and everything. The bot held up a stiff finger. First, my name is Matthew. Puppy pleased Matthew by shaking hands. Most humans wouldn't bother. And I shall call you Puppy. You are the commissioner, so it should be Commissioner Needick. I'm still Puppy. What did the previous occupants of the office want to be called? Matthew rolled its eyes. Primarily commissioner, although Mr. Cobb preferred the Prince of Baseball. Mr. Mantle was a bit easier. Mickey, Mick, the Commerce Comet, but neither, shall I say, adhered to the gravity of the office as they should have. 
I'll try to bring a certain majesty, but I'm a pretty simple guy. Matthew's mouth flickered with metallic smugness. Before we get into the meat of the morning, is this outfit appropriate for you? The former commissioners amused themselves by selecting my wardrobe. They kindly dressed me as they felt I should dress, but I can change. I want you to be comfortable, Matthew. The bot did a quick pirouette, showing off the cut of the suit, which Puppy approved with a grin. Then let us move on from my minimal needs to yours as commissioner of baseball. May I be among the first to congratulate? Actually, after my friend Zelda and Pablo and their kid, you're the fourth to do so in person. Puppy's head still ached slightly from the waterfall of celebratory bourbon they poured down his throat last night. Not just for the job, but for the cloud lifting over all of them. Dear Puppy Nidic, the family is pleased to inform you that all outstanding charges of suspicious behavior have been dismissed. As of now, you are officially the Commissioner of Baseball. Welcome back to the family. Please visit Adea Denazzo, third cousin. Just like that. Matthew fussed about while Puppy skimmed his day on the oversized agenda on the desk, which the bot pointed out contained extra margins for any unanticipated needs. Those predictive abilities were superb. February 28th, 2099, Commissioner Puppy Needick's schedule. 10 a.m., Sahidi Douglas, Radcaster of the Game of the Week, meeting per your request. 11 a.m., discuss questions with Matthew. 12 noon, free time for thinking. 12.15 p.m., lunch of choice. Matthew will provide menus 10 minutes previously. The prior occupants preferred Bill's Bagolini, excellent overstuffed AG meat sandwiches. 1 p.m., welcome call with third cousin, Adea Denozzo, to whom you report directly. 2 p.m., meeting with American League East Division owners. Briefing of outstanding issues to be provided by Matthew, and there are many. 3 p.m., rest period, cocktails if necessary. Prior occupants preferred beer and soda pop. 3.30 p.m., retractable roofs in the Midwest for issues with harmonic construction, a newly formed bot company. Matthew to provide protocol for FB human meetings. 4.30 p.m., interview with Radcast Spotlight and Baseball host Sandra Douglas, twin sister of 10 a.m. appointment Sahidi. Questions to be provided by Ms. Douglas beforehand. Matthew fretted over puppy's frown. I did not want to burden you too much on the first day commission. I appreciate that. The prior occupants, you can call them Ty and Mick. Matthew nodded briskly. Many issues went unresolved. They preferred open places in the schedule for what I assumed was rest, given their age, but more often turned into festivities. The bot disapprovingly narrowed its eyes. I would not bring women into the office for at least your first week. Puppy assured Matthew the sanctity of the commissioner's office would be preserved, and there was no reason to stockpile alcohol, though he might regret that decision. He was also trying to lose weight, so please limit the snacks. Promptly at 10, Zahidi Douglas slid onto the thick chair without asking, crossing her legs and staring at Puppy as if just not sure what to make of him. Small talk wasn't on her agenda, which she made clear by ignoring Matthew's offer of refreshments. The miffed robot closed the door a little too noisily. Puppy propped his feet on the coffee table, knowing he'd get a scolding for scuffling the glass, and stared back pleasantly. Delighted to see you again, Sahidi. Douglas ran a slender hand up the side of her plant-like black hair, recalling their unscheduled interview at Fenway Park when he'd returned to America. I had to do some fancy dancing after that, I bet. Was it worth it? Being interrogated by blacktops? Oh, sure. Wondrous experience. Took some time before they believed we weren't working together. I could have lost my job, or worse. But you popped into the rad booth and wanted to be interviewed. So what could I say? You could have refused. She smiled faintly. I'm ambitious, which is why you're here. I need a staff. I'm allowed to hire two people. Who's the other? He shrugged. I haven't even found the bathroom yet, but I'm starting with you. 
because I risked my ass interviewing the fugitive puppy and giving him a sounding board? Yeah, in part, and because you know baseball, about the only thing that kept me sane while I was hiding, he remained paranoid enough not to mention where, was listening to your weekly broadcast. You feel the game. Like I said at the end of that interview in Boston, I'm impressed. Sahidi waited, unimpressed that he was impressed. You sound like a blend of the old-time sportscasters. My grandfather had cups of coffee with Oakland and Houston back in the early 2050s. Lionel Douglas, don't pretend you heard of him. A 248 career batting average, 11 homers. Not a bad glove in left. He was a devotee of the glory days of radio. The stories changed a little as he got older, but apparently he bought tapes from a dealer outside Cleveland and hid them under the house. He insisted that he sensed someday it'd be illegal to own memorabilia. He died in 2066, just after it all did and left me the tapes. Grace like Mel Allen or Red Barber, Vin Scully, Ernie Harwell. I was hooked, so he paused. I'm still searching for my own voice. Takes a while, like learning to command a pitch. But you got all the tools. Your pleasure to listen to, she grunted, softening. I need someone who loves baseball like me. Ty and Mick love baseball, but they had egos. And we don't. Sahidi waited for Puppy to join her in a grin. I already have a job, a dream job. I don't want anything else. Puppy tilted his head dubiously, but yet you're here. I'm always too curious for my own sake. She studied Puppy like he was a goldfish. What's the job besides filling my love of the game? I'm not sure yet. I have to get a handle on what's going on if there's anything that needs attending. Douglas laughed because you think it's all going splendidly. Puppy squirmed slightly. Well, yeah, I've been listening to your adcasts. What would you like me to say? That a squirrel could have caught that ground ball? Has this pitcher ever been taught the basic mechanics of a windup? Are the fans not cheering because they're frozen solid? Sahidi tossed a folder onto the table. I gave this analysis a lot of thought. I didn't sleep all night working on it, so I hope you'll show respect. Then if you want to talk, I'll come back and we can see, depending on what you say. But baseball is anything but going splendidly. My grandpa used to call the condition a flush away. Puppy calmed down Matthew, already adjusting the morning's agenda after one meeting. He sent the bot out for some blueberry danish and curled into the chair, still pleasantly scented by Sahidi. Baseball 2099, the state of the game analysis by Sahidi Douglas. Confidential for Puppy Needick only. Factual background. As of this date, February 28th, 2099, the 30 major league teams comprising the American and National Leagues have played an average of 33 games. The current first place teams are the Boston Red Sox, Detroit Tigers, and Seattle Pilots. In the National League, the New York Mets lead the Eastern Division, while the Chicago Cubs and San Francisco Giants are atop the Central and Western Divisions, respectfully. Through this date, Penny Tissamirano of the Philadelphia Phillies is the top NL hitter with a 403 batting average. In the American League, Elliot Day of the Boston team sports a 377 average. Jonathan Taylor of the Los Angeles Dodgers leads the National League with eight home runs, while Paul Weinstock of the New York Yankees has powered nine. In pitching, Garcia Marichal of the Cleveland Spiders has won six games, and Nanjani Watanabe of the New York Mets has notched five wins. They each lead their leagues with 32 strikeouts. A full list of the top 10 each category, plus runs batted in, earned run averages, footnote. The home attendance for each of the teams has averaged just over 60% capacity. In the first week, the capacity attendance was 97%. Second week, 83%. Third week, 71%. In the fourth week, it was 61%. Fifth week, 55%. Sixth week, 48%. Through the seventh week, 44%. Puppy took an uneasy bite of the Danish. A full list of each team's home attendance is footnoted along with data on concessions, which I consider merely anecdotal and not insightful. Analysis. Since the start of the season, I've personally seen 31 major league games. 
Seven went for my duties on the Game of the Week Radcast and the remaining games at Yankee Stadium, Fenway Park, Shea Stadium, and Veterans Stadium, reasonably proximate to my home in the Throgs next section of the Bronx. There was a remarkable fervor in the first week as shown by the rabid attendance figures. The energy as a sportscaster was also off the chart. The Cousins have received 1,455 letters regarding the broadcast with 81% favorable, 10% negative, and 9% both. But this analysis is my personal view. The attendance has clearly dropped, and I noticed less energy in the stands, which goes beyond the presence of fewer fans. The excitement about the return of baseball across the country, building on the 2098 success, which I consider a success despite the terrorist attack at Yankee Stadium, has dwindled. Here are the reasons. The weather. I believe the season was rushed back before milder weather began in late March, early April, for reasons other than the needs of the game. I'll speculate that the intensity of the new conflict with Islam persuaded the family to seek a way to distract the country. I also suggest that by giving face spots new positive roles in rebuilding the ballpark so quickly, they were preparing everyone for the introduction of the face spot human harmony laws. Smart kid, puppy thought. But the weather is a serious factor. It's as if the family challenged baseball fans to brave the cold and rain and snow to see how much they really wanted baseball or to make a case for them not wanting it enough, puppy suddenly realized. The retractable roofs help, but fans still must get to the ballparks and the covering is only activated 42 degrees. I wear two coats when I'm announcing, even in an enclosed booth. The heating coils beneath the seats provide some comfort, but the blankets and igloo-like coverings don't belong in baseball along with domes on retro stadiums. It's at variance at how baseball, good and mostly bad for nearly 70 years, has been perceived. Football fans happily embrace shivering during a game, not baseball. If you want to reach baseball fans, you must give them what they remember, or since there hasn't been a real season since 2065, what they've been told by parents or grandparents. The game. I really hate being this honest, but I'm in deep already. The quality of play is not very good. This shouldn't be a surprise. There was no way baseball could be gone for 33 years except for the purposeful travesty of the Bronx Hawks and Bronx Falcons at then Amazon Stadium and still expect quality. The fundamentals are very poor. I've been horrified watching undisciplined infield and batting practice. The managers and coaches are clueless. They don't understand any nuances like bunting and the hit and run. There's often little reason why pitches are taken out of games. There are growing issues with faulty equipment. Balls are easily misshapen. Bats break after one contact. Four players are out indefinitely from injuring themselves, sliding into improperly installed bases. That happened long before all this puppy side, but he got what she was getting at. There is little strategy. Fans were accustomed to inferior play before the game was reintroduced last season with humans instead of holograms. But if you're a fan, it's pretty easy to determine that what you're seeing would merit even the old minor leagues, which, as you know, closed in 2035. Fans are also confused by how much they're allowed to root for their teams. On the one hand, loyalty is encouraged to local teams. Yet there have been numerous requests to avoid the uncontrolled passion for home teams, which is believed to have exacerbated sectionalism and political polarization. How can you have a baseball game where the fans don't know who to root for? The entertainment. I don't think anyone has decided how much extra entertainment belongs in a baseball game. When the Yankees and Cubs names were restored, Yankee Stadium became a fun place. The HD entertainment absolutely rocked. That shouldn't be a substitute for the game itself, as happened back in the desperate 2030s, but there needs to be a coherent strategy. Cubs fans, led by the friends of Ernie Banks, fought against adding a jumbotron to the rebuilt Wrigley Field since that was installed in 2015 and the park opened in 1916. But the friends of Jackie Robinson in Los Angeles agreed that the supersized scoreboard 
enveloping all of Dodger Stadium, was fine despite the ballpark opening in 1958. Do we want consistency or bending to local values? Should the stadiums reflect the game exactly as it was when they opened, or is that all about architectural symbolism? Conclusion. The most pressing and worrying aspect of the early trends of the 2099 season is whether the surge in interest in baseball had less to do with the game than the reassurance of its old-time values, reintroduced by Albert Chang when, when he became grandpa. Baseball was dying long before the miners attacked during the 2065 World Series. The initial crowds could have been because baseball was a novelty. If baseball was too boring once before, can it be a sanctuary within the growing war on uncertainty of the granddaughter now leading the family post-grandma and grandpa? Or is the very nature of the game simply past its time? If the players are mediocre at best and the fans have to shiver to even get to the park, how long before the attendance bottoms out? Baseball has been given a second chance. As much as I love the game, my grandfather played two seasons for the Oakland Athletics and Houston Astros. I'm afraid that unless a genuinely coherent strategy is developed, baseball will revert to its earlier fringe status pre-2065. Exit question. Can a bad imitation of a bad imitation of baseball when we want the real thing revive a game that has already been proclaimed dead? I have suggestions if you'd like to discuss further. Thank you. On the downtown M12 bus, Puppy dozed with Millie the Mouse cradled on his lap, a tiny brown stuffed animal, which was another one of Zelda's back-you-go puppy gifts, along with vows that he'd always be welcome to visit and put on Diego's diapers backwards, eat all their food, drink all their booze, and ensure she and Pablo didn't have sex. Like some hunting dog, he woke as the bus lumbered past Yankee Stadium, guarded by nightlights, settling to the stop before his orange and beige old apartment building. He juggled a small leather bag, which contained more food than clothes. Zelda had packed five sandwiches along with two open bags of pretzel dolls. The apartment smelled musty, and the irritated way furniture behaves when it's neglected for six months. He turned on the living room lights and stood there. It was strange to be back, especially being alone. Puppy poured coffee pier brandy, which he quickly discovered was the last of his alcohol. He munched on one of Zelda's semi-salmon salad sandwiches and found small triumph in an open jar of Manny super sour pickles tucked in the rear of the otherwise vacant fridge. Puppy tucked out a stack of baseball books, which, despite the ban long-lifted, he'd kept tape behind the desk, finishing the sandwich and pouring another two-sweet brandy to accompany the pretzel dolls. Puppy draped the oversized baseball's greatest pitches onto his knees, which he'd found atop a trash can by a Bedford Avenue M28 bus stop when he was 18. Even in 2099, the familiar wind-ups of Walter Johnson and Christy Matthewson and Bob Feller and Sonny Koufax were, well, familiar. Steve Carlton, Nolan Ryan, Randy Johnson, Jacob DeGruy, he flipped the pages. The last entry was Nesta Navarro in 2036. They stopped the compendiums of baseball's greatest shortly after that. By 2038, the game was so changed that comparisons were like a frayed umbilical cord. Puppy sipped his third brandy from the bottle, belching down his fourth pickle. The gloves were similar, merely evolved, he pondered, inspecting deep in the hole about shortstops from Hannes Wagner to Ernie Banks. Bats as well, shoes, the game itself, the physicality all remained the same, 90 feet base to base, but the magic was lost. You need to believe that it was possible to hit a baseball traveling at 100 miles per hour with a reaction time of 0.8 seconds. How do you make a country believe in magic again, Puppy wondered, accepting he had no answer. Sahidi was right. The game was a novelty. Restoring it was like lifting a quarantine and releasing all kinds of pent-up emotions, such as the anger and shame at losing the war. But once the rush of sampling passed, you reverted with a snap of a rubber band. 
maybe not a snap, but a slow wiggle. You could honor your past of baseball, America, Zahidi's grandfather, Mushi Lopez, putting sensuality in a swing. But once you've honored the past, do you really want to live in it when the past led you directly to this present, surrounded by Alice? Maybe baseball should have stayed dead puppy side. Maybe it should have been the one season, actually the three-month experience at one stadium with just two teams as a memory play, nothing more. People always want more until they get it. Grandma had viewed baseball as a distraction from a peace plan with Abdullah as much as Chang had viewed baseball as a distraction from the new war. Even a child grows impatient over distractions and wants to move on. Maybe Clary also viewed baseball as a distraction. But from what? Damned if he was going to let that happen again, Puppy grimly smiled. Not until they see baseball the way it was meant to be. He dunked his pickle in Benito's dark brown mustard and offered Millie the Mouse the rest of the pretzel bar. All right, that was Gary Morgenstein reading a sample chapter from the last book of the Dark Deaths series, A Dugout to Peace. The pre-order is available right now. The book comes out December 5th, so make sure you click that link in the show notes for this book and the rest of them in this series. Hey, don't forget to check out Gary's past episodes and our uh, podcast friends and affiliate with Writer's Block Coffee. And uh, as always, hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out next time. When I'm back with a new author, a new book, and a brand new sample chapter. I hope you all have a good Thanksgiving, and uh, we'll talk to you again real, real soon.